Okay, this podcast has the potential to be probably the longest of the year. What do you think? With one race? Really? No. Well, there's a lot to talk about. There is a lot to talk about. And uh, But first, we'd like to welcome everyone to the Greg's Garage Pod with Coach Jason Primor, presented by Bike911.com. If you need an attorney, need to talk to somebody, especially if you're a motorcycle rider, been in an accident or something along those lines, and you're in California, or if you need advice throughout the country, reach out to our boy, Alex Asante, bike911.com. That's a website, by the way, Jason. So what happens is you like type into the computer, www. Or you can just type in bike911.com and then you hit enter and then a website pops up. Thanks. That's good. No, it's good. I need that explanation. Also, if you're a writer and you want somebody to look through your contracts, that's the other good thing about Alex. That's very true. Maybe I shouldn't tell people that, but he does. He'll no. you should do that. Yeah. No, he's (laughs) great. He'll look at all your stuff and see if there's anything you need and, um, you know, so if you're a team, for instance, if you're in Moto America and you're a team and you're doing stuff with people or whatever, Alex will go and look through your stuff for you and solid guy, man. So yeah, he's funny though. Me and him, we, we do send some texts back and forth that are pretty good. I got a good one from him this morning. Is it something you can share? No. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, thank Well, thank you for that. You jackass. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, no, uh, no. I mean, how was it, your, how was your week by the way? What'd you do? My week was good. I yeah. got to go out. I rode all the Friday. I went out Friday and rode with Wes uh, Farnsworth out at uh, Button Willow. It was pretty good. We It was uh, kind of an overcast day. It got a little bit windy, which was kind of a bummer, but rode with him. Um, it was it, I mean, we had a blast. So getting a chance to ride with him is always fun for me. I've watched him come from just being a guy that just rides around at track days to going pretty fast on a bike now, so. They had AFM out there over the weekend, and I talked to Andrew Lee this morning, and I guess he beat Bryce by like, what was it, 0.011 of a second. Woo. So, yeah, Bryce Prince was out there. Saw Corey Ventura. In fact, Corey? He's great, dude. Corey's good, and told him we're going to get him on the podcast because he's got some news he's going to share. Told him I wasn't going to say anything about anything. Good, so, I've known I'm about not, that for weeks, bro. I'm not saying any, I'm not saying a word. So we'll wait for him to come out with what he's going to say, and uh, something about a sidecar passenger at the Isle of Man or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but don't mention nope. it. Yeah, I won't, don't, mention yeah. It. I won't say anything. <laughs> but then I talked to him, and he said, "I said we got to get him on the podcast because you know you and I have always been pretty big fans of his. Yeah, uh, good kid, good family, works hard. Um, yeah, so saw him, and uh, and then on the weekend, Greg, it was great. I got to I got to be home for a weekend again. So. And rage out about MotoGP. Well, Quali- qualifying with yellow flags again, and blah 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 blah. All right, should I not talk about it? Should, I, should I just be the end of the podcast? Are we done? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> we're definitely going to talk about it. Yeah, but no, we got, we got, we got something. I, I haven't looked at the rundown, but there's a couple things that. Yeah, yeah, there's a couple things that yeah to rage out about for sure. But I mean, not rage out. I'm not. No. I don't want to be that guy where everybody like tunes uh, in. We all want oh. you to be that guy though, dude. We so yeah, do. I know. But like the thing is, right? Is there are just some things <laughs> maybe I'm a little bit too passionate about because I love the sport so much. I don't know. Maybe is that what it is? I'm not sure. But in this week's pod, we're going to talk about Arai news, and we got a couple juicy topics in there. And then it's MotoGP Mizano number two. Yeah, where we're really going to get into some stuff. If you want to support the channel, patreon.com slash Greg's Garage TV. Also, if you want to see some videos on YouTube, Greg's Garage TV channel, that's on the YouTube. So you want to just jump into it because there's tons to talk about or what? Well, yeah, get this Hawaii news going. 
All right, let's get Arai news because this, yeah, well, you just said it. So, with Arai news, you know, Jay, antimicrobials, should we talk about them this time of year? The <laughs> antimicrobials? Because I understand that, you know, riding season for a lot of people is coming to a close, but nonetheless, Arai helmets are lined with an antimicrobial material. That's an interior liner that gives you some odor resistance, some dirt resistance, and antimicrobials. And Jay, if you rode the GNCC over the weekend, oh my by the way, what an absolute mud fest. I'm I not saw. really sure if, if the liner would help you or not, but mm. maybe. Yeah, it looks it looks so it looked fun, but it was really difficult. Anyway, this interior liner helps to keep you fresh longer and you can enjoy the ride for longer. And by the way, you can pull it out and wash it, which I've done many times on the Greg's Ride to the Races thing. Visit AraiAmericas.com. Pick what you like. Head down to your local dealer for fitment. Grab a new lid. AraiAmericas.com. Okay. Let's begin with uh, our last week's report about competition in Moto EJ because uh, for sure what I read last week um, Mm -hmm. and what I actually said ended up being totally uh, incorrect. It was just utterly wrong. Oh, yeah? Yeah, there was an announcement last week that that Energesia, (laughs) I guess, motor company – who is the sole supplier for Moto E motorcycles that they were no longer going to be the sole supplier for Dorna. And what I read into that, like they were going to do competition, but then all of a sudden, a couple days later, Dorna comes out and basically says, Hey everybody, Ducati is going to be the sole provider for Moto E bikes moving forward in 2023. So next season Mm -hmm. will be the same bikes, you know, the, the same tires, all that kind of stuff. But then beginning in 2023, Ducati will be the sole supplier for Moto E motorcycles moving forward. Um, so what do you think about that? I mean, the one thing to keep in mind is that Audi owns Ducati. There is already knowledge inside the company somewhere about, you know, e-motorsports or whatever you want to call it, I yeah. guess. But what do you think about that? Because what what uh, Domicelli, who's the CEO of, of Ducati, was saying was that they really haven't done a whole lot with the bikes, but they're going to be ready by 2023. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what's funny is... Now that you've explained it to me that way, it makes a little bit of sense on some things. Because I thought I heard over the weekend that they were saying that Ducati is basically going to... I even misheard what what was said because I basically thought Ducati was just coming and putting their name on it. And mm. iner- inertia, is that how they say it? Uh, it's it's spelled E-N-E-R-G-I-C-A. Yeah. Ener- energesia, energy, yeah. whatever. I Boy, don't know. We look smart right now, don't we? Yeah, uh, I know. Anyways, no, I thought it basically was that Ducati was going, I thought Ducati was coming in to form a partnership with them to kind of continue and Ducati was going to help either fund that or give some of their, I, I just misunderstood. No, so, so anyways, so there I was a, you're there saying was like now a, makes a lot more sense. There was like a, a little press conference that had both Domicelli and, um, and Espaleta, the, the CEO of Dorna. And basically what they were saying in there was that there is a, um, like they want to make the bikes lighter. They want to okay. make them a qu- little quicker and they want to make them last longer. And so Ducati is going to develop all their own stuff. And That's pretty cool. Ducati's excited about it because it gives their engineers an opportunity to take the same kind of MotoGP technology and be able to put it into, you know, electric motor type stuff. And so I would imagine internally that there's got to be some people from Audi because they've been, I mean, the e-tron, there's a bunch of great Audi products that yeah. have been dealing with electric car stuff and, and all that for a while. I mean, to, to race cars and all that. So I would imagine that some of that technology is going to trickle down. And there were many vendors, I guess, that 
that um, kind of sent out, you know, like requests for a proposal, I guess, or okay. whatever it was. And uh, and Ducati got the nod. So I'm excited to see. There was kind of a rendering, you know, of like that went around about what the bike might look like. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, if Michelin had a say so in this stuff because Michelin's the supplier of tires. And with those heavy Moto GP or Moto E bikes, I'm sure that it, it puts different loads and different stress on tires. Costa, but doesn't it? I mean, I think so. But I'm excited to see what Ducati comes up with. I mean, it's in a excuse me, it's in a year and a half, I guess you could say. But yeah. how fast does that go by at this? Point? Go by Especially really at your age. And the yeah. yeah, and the racing has been pretty good. Like really, the racing has been pretty good. It's always mm-hmm. pretty close. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, they got to do something about the weight. It'd be interesting to see, like. Uh, you know, numbers, is, I, they, they're getting faster and faster. I, I forget what they did at Mizano three weeks ago. I can't remember, but I know MotoGP was in the low 30s, I think, this weekend, 32s, 33s. Mm. But anyways, they, yeah, and it, it was, it's always close. So we'll see what happens with all that. So there's been some MotoGP regulations, rules <clears throat> or whatever that have been coming down on the sporting side of things. Um there's some changes that are being put in place by the Grand Prix Commission, and that commission is made up of representatives from Dorna, from the FIM, from Erta, and a couple manufacturers. But anyway, for 2022, we're going to see a reduction in warm-up sessions for Moto3 and Moto2 that are going to go just to 10 minutes. So yeah. they'll only have a 10-minute warm-up session. I don't know the motivator behind that. I haven't read about it or anything. I don't know if you had any insight to that, why you would go for I think it's 15, right? 15 currently I, down to 10. Man, I don't know. It's been... Yeah, I mean, when was the last time I was at a MotoGP race two years ago? So yeah, and I don't. We never really get to. Yeah, I I, I don't know what the the time is. I mean, I know in like BSB, it's like six minutes. Oh, is that all it is? Oh yeah, it's like two laps done. Can you imagine if we had six minutes at Road America? No, it'd be done. <laughs> it'd literally be, be yeah, out lap, like, in lap, out lap, in lap. Yeah, that'd or be for it, you but, out and in. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. You'd have to go out and just come straight in if it was uh for for G Dub special, you know. Easy. You know, there were some other things that were in there, some stuff about tires, some stuff about engines. So right now, Jay, if 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 uh, you get torn down in a Mo- in MotoGP and, you know, there's an engine limit and how many engines yeah. are allowed. If you get torn down, you have to wait 45 days to touch that motor till the basically the like the ruling comes back to if you're legal or not. Now, what they're going to do is if if they tear the motor down to allow you to rebuild it, you can rebuild it immediately. If they find that that motor was illegal, anything that you do with that motor moving forward will render you basically out of the results or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. anyway, <clears throat> the biggest well, it's news- come into play only at the end of the year, though, really, when teams are down to their last motor and they may not have 45 days to wait. So that's where that rule might come into play a little more. Yeah, right? or they only have two left and you know what I mean? You Correct. have two bikes or yeah, all that kind of stuff. So that was a good rule change. And, and there's some other little things, but the biggest one is the increase in minimum age. So in 2023, MotoGP across all classes, the minimum age is going to be 18 up from 16. There are a couple other series that the FIM oversees that are going to have some changes. There will be some like talent cup changes that are going to see the minimum age go from, I think, 13 to 15 immediately, like in 2022. But, um, what you know, obviously this is an answer to some some tragic incidences and deaths that we've had at least this season you know but what do you think i mean i've seen a lot of comments about riders weighing in on the fact that you're changing the age from 16 to 18 that it's not the answer okay you know but what do you think first off they're trying right i mean they're trying to make something to where you you got to give you got to give people the credit that they're at least trying something i i don't really know what they can change um 
I I thought that what Loris Baz wrote last week, we've been talking about him a lot, obviously, because of he's been in the news a lot um, uh, um, because of what he's been doing on track. But listen, if you get riders, Greg, that if you have 25 bikes together on the track and everybody's drafting and redrafting, I, I really don't care what age you are. The problem is, is that it's just been happening in the younger classes because the racing is so tight. There's no... There's no way of spreading that apart. There's no way of spreading things apart. I saw something that Ben Spees even wrote that I thought was pretty clever as well. When there were two-stroke 125s, two-stroke 250s, they were a little bit harder to ride. They took a little bit more to ride than than the Moto2 and Moto3 bikes do now in the sense that they required a little bit more from the rider, I guess. And, and I started to think about what he's saying, and I really do understand what he's saying. So you could see a separation. Yeah, you'd have packs of six, eight, 10 guys in the 125 class. But I mean, there's been times when we've seen 24 riders at Magello, like line of Stern coming down the front straightaway. We've talked about it. So whether they're 16 years old or 18 years old, I don't really think that that matters. I think that when you start looking at um, the closeness of the racing, the rules have been written in ways now where we see racing closer than it's ever been. The whole reason why World Superbike does it by RPMs is to try to get people closer together. Is that correct? Yes. So, exactly. so, so in a way they're asking, they're saying that we want the racing to be as close as we can. That's the product, right? That's, that's the, the product. product. Uh, that's why we talk so much on the show about, you know, the penalties and stuff that get laid down. Where do you, where do you draw the line? And there's another one this weekend that I'd sat there shaking my head at that we'll talk about later. But <laughs> the thing is, is that when it comes to, the, the World Supersport 300 class or Moto3 now, <clears throat> the thing is, is that um, I don't know how you create separation. Um, I don't know how you create separation. That the worst case scenario is um, the young Vinales crash at, uh, at Jerez. Mm-hmm. He was at the lead pack of a group that was two seconds ahead of the next gigantic group. So he's in the lead pack of that first group towards the tail end of it. And Greg, where they crashed, I mean, you've been there. He crashed out of turn one going to turn two, which is a short little straightaway. It's nothing. And he kind of gets clipped, but he's in the middle of the racetrack. So when the next pack of guys come through, the first one or two riders might see that. But the kid that's three, four, five, six, eight back, I don't know how you fix that, even if you're 18 years old or older. I think if you're... If you had a group of 30-year-old guys ripping around together, that's still going to be a huge problem that somebody's going to be laying in the track and the guy four or five back in a group with his head down isn't going to see him. Yeah, I mean, what I'm about to say is it's a, it's the wrong phrase and it's kind of inappropriate, but in a way, um, they're a victim of their own success, right? And I'm doing Correct. air quotes because, no, yeah, in that sense, they, they you know, and I mean motorcycle, really racing in general, you know, has just preached for years People want to see close racing. They want to see tight racing. They want to see passes, and and that's what we've gotten. And I think you know, on top of on top of the, the Ben's Spees's point that the bikes are easy to ride, I would also add to that that manufacturers have started to provide much better equipment and Correct. have really gotten into the let's compete and you know putting resources into Moto Three, into Moto Two, and obviously in Moto GP. I mean, look how many amazing i mean how do you have a 2019 motorcycle that's been on the podium twice i mean you know but it just goes to show you and the thing is is that 
if you are a presenter of, you know, if it's your series, Moto America is the same. We're trying to, we're trying to create a good product for TV so that people can enjoy the racing and they can enjoy what goes on and they can see a pack of riders together. Um, and so, and so, yeah, it, it's, they've created it to where they've done such a great job with making some of the rules packages, what they are and making it close, good racing. But on the flip side of it, now you're exactly right. It's kind of a product of their own. It's kind of the demise of their own product in a way, because now they've had some very, very unfortunate things. And Greg, it's not like we couldn't, you know, you hate to use the word luck, but in a way we've been lucky for a lot of years that it hasn't happened sooner. Cause there have been times when you and I have watched these races and it's like, we've, we've, we've talked to each other on a Sunday night or a, during the races going like, can you believe what's going on here or what's going on there? Or, and, and it's like, you're, you've got both hands over your, uh, over your eyes with a little crack to look through Cause you're just kind of holding your breath for everybody. Yeah. Um, and then unfortunately this year, now we've had two or three really um, tragic accidents and they're trying to do something, but they I are. don't, I don't know what the answer is, but it's fair. a first step. It's a first, first step. step. Yep. And they're going to we'll see, see how this helps. goes. Yeah. yeah. And, and you hope that it does. Yeah. Now, Jay, we know that brakes have been an issue really across the board. I mean, we've seen it in World Superbike, definitely in MotoGP. So due to larger brake discs being used more often in MotoGP, the cost of the braking package has increased from 70,000 euro to 80,000 euros. I think it's a sign of changing times and definitely a sign of speeds that we're seeing. What do you think? Well, yeah, because I mean, technology is pushing this stuff so far and when we start talking braking, that's going to come up in our podcast today as well. Uh, when you see what happens to Raul Fernandez, it's just mind boggling and going back and looking at that crash over and over. I haven't seen today if anything has come out on it. So I'd have to have a look. But the thing is, is that, is that we also notice, Greg, again, something that you and I talk about quite often is the amount of inconsistencies we see lately with you know, I mean, you're right there on the front line of it down in the paddock all the time. And there's, it seems like every weekend there's something to do with brakes. Like how much better can brakes continue to get? Because brakes, I mean, they're pretty good, but we've seen failures and we've seen brakes um, doing just, we've just seen a lot of different little brake issues over the last few years that we didn't see. And it seems like it's kind of running rampant with that right now. Yeah, it does. So that's good. And the thing, the reason we even bring it up is because really MotoGP sets the tone for what other series are going to do, or at least MotoGP can turn the heads of smaller series and say, okay, is this, you know, this is an issue at this level. Has it trickled down into other parts of racing? I don't think we have much of a problem yet in, in Moto America, no. but it's definitely going to be, okay, they've, they've increased it, you know, <laughs> 10,000 euro because they need more budget to get better brakes. And it's really important. Um, yeah. Speed, right. a lot of speed, a lot of speed. On to the Moto America side of things. Jason KTM Factory MotoGP racer Danilo Petrucci revealed that he is in talks with Ducati to fill the Warhorse Ducati spot left vacant by Loris Baz. What do you think about that? About that dude coming to the U.S.? Hmm. I had a I had a little spy tell me about this maybe a week and a half ago. So. Oh really? Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. I've known I've known about it for a while. Yeah. So it's um. You know, I think it's great. I think I look the fact that Moto America. This is, I you you got to laugh at people that 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 you know just find say fault it, with this. Yeah, like, they just it. cry about this. I mean, Moto America racing in America was off off the grid. 
and Moto America has brought it back on the grid. And Moto America has allowed a place where we've got young guys now that are, are coming up through the ranks, that are continuing to improve, that are getting the chance to go overseas. And Moto America is also supplying a home for where so many riders came um, from Europe. They wanted to be in America. Everybody wants to come check out America. There's a lot of riders right now in World Superbike. They would love to come race a year in America. So I don't understand what people would be crying about if it's creating seats, even if it's creating seats for guys like Danilo Petrucci or Loris Baz or Hector Barber or whoever, because you know what? It gets our guys the opportunity to go up against some of these talented people that that we want to see. Hey, we want to see how Jake Gagne is going to do against Loris Baz because we're all curious, like what's going to happen. And, and now we're all going to be curious of, What's going on with Danilo Petrucci? Um, you know, he's been on the KTM. He hasn't had that great of a year. Heard that he's going to go do rally racing instead of, and maybe he still is, don't know. But the fact is, is if he gets the opportunity to come to race Moto America, who would be against that? I wouldn't. I don't know. I know I saw one comment on social media. Someone was like, no, he needs to go to BSB. I'm like, what? Yeah. BSB motorcycles are, they're unreal. I mean, they're full factory bikes, but bottom line is they don't have any electronics on them. Yeah, And you're going to take a guy like Danilo Petrucci who comes from Ducati factory to KTM factory to Moto America, which has sophisticated electronics. Some would argue that the, that the electronics we use are a little more sophisticated than MotoGP because what people tend to forget was that MotoGP has, has basically choked down electronics from a couple <laughs> of years ago when they tried to put a clamp on, on, you know, using all that stuff. It's, it's a more or less of a controlled ECU. So, I mean, it's a perfect transition for a guy like Petrucci to come here versus, say, BSB. BSB is just different from how we are. They're great racing. There's no denying it. They're close racing. They're Unbelievable great. racing, yeah. BSB. Yeah. Yep. But that, bike, that bike's like a full factory bike for sure. I mean, forks, swing arms, everything. But when it comes down to what's critical in MotoGP, electronics knowledge, it's part of the reason why we don't see many <laughs> BSB riders jumping from BSB to World Superbike anymore. There's going to be one, I, from what I understand, this season that's going to go you know, from BSB to World Superbike, and we're going to see how that person learns electronics and how they fare. Yeah. You know? So we're going to get a really good idea if the person who's going from BSB to World Superbike ends up knocking it out of the park, I think then BSB will turn some more heads without question. Well, it's not like they haven't had guys go from you know BSB to World Superbike. I mean, it's predominantly... It's a championship that's been dominated by Brits with Chaz and Leon Haslam and Alex Lowe's and Johnny Ray. And you just go down the list of the Redding. amount of guys at Reading that's gone over there. So, but you got to also remember that Reading went from MotoGP to BSB and back to World Superbike. Haslam went from World Superbike back to BSB, back to World Superbike. So, you know, look, these guys are all super, super talented. And if they get enough testing dates under their belt and they got the right personnel on their team, they're all going to be able to learn and adapt and do whatever they need to do. And for a guy like Petrucci, who probably, you know, it, what was it, two years ago he won at Mugello? Yes. Um, he wants to get that winning feeling again. And if there's nothing available to him in World Superbike that tickles him or, or, or you know, he basically said that nobody came looking at him in World Superbike, period. Mm -hmm. So, Well, the other point too, Jay, to be made is, I learned about Petrucci, like you were saying, or whatever, a week and a half ago from Ducati Corsa, Italy. Yeah. They told me and told me to keep it quiet. Yeah. So the fact that you have Ducati Corsa, who obviously runs MotoGP, World Superbike, and has input into, you know, like with equipment and, and all that kind of stuff into the Warhorse effort and Moto America to have 
Ducati Corsa talking to Petrucci, mm-hmm. you know, who left Ducati and went to KTM and all that kind of stuff to say, there's a spot in America we would like you to go and race. And for Petrucci to come out on GP1 in the interview and say, I'm totally considering it because he has a contract, from what I understand, to ride the Dakar rally for KTM. And so it's like, can he make them both work or mm-hmm. is there going to be different money? You know, like is yeah. the Moto America money? So we don't know. I mean, I, the thing I do know is that Petrucci's not the only person under consideration for that ride. Mm-hmm. But I think if you really looked at it and said caliber of rider at the moment, I think Petrucci's probably your front runner. You know, so yeah, it's hard to say. It's just it's hard to say until you have that list and you can look at, you know, that the, if you have say six guys on the list, you can make arguments for all of them. And you can, you know, the thing is got about a guy like Petrucci. How old is he? Great, he's only like thirty two or thirty four years old or something like that, isn't he? Yeah, good question. I don't know. I, I don't think he's that old. But the thing is, is that you look at the list of guys that could be potential writers on that deal. Mm-hmm. I got to be honest with you, if someone told me that Chaz Davis was going to take that seat. I wouldn't be against it. As I, long as Chaz was yeah. motivated to do it and wanted to come back. I mean, he knows all the tracks and mm-hmm. or most of them. It's going to be a few tracks he would have to learn. I think Chaz enjoyed his time here in America, but I don't think that there'd be a reason why I wouldn't almost choose him over Petrucci, um, depending on if that's what he wanted to do. That's the yeah. thing. So um, Petrucci's birthday was yesterday, right? And he, I think he that's turned That's right. He got taken 31. out on his birthday, I remember. 1990. So he's 31? Yeah. So that's, so, you know, the, yeah. I mean, so then when you look at, when you look at that, he's still a young guy. Still has plenty of years ahead of him. What about you? Has your phone been ringing? Because you have something special coming up this week, don't you? It's off the hook. My phone's been just buzzing. Are you going to tell us what what you're doing this week or not? I don't know. Why not? I don't know. Because it's not, you know, yeah, I might. Let's just get on with the podcast. No, I, no, I, I think it's, I think that's a news item. Okay, the news really? item. Yeah, I do think it's a news item, and I'm going to read it like this. Okay, all right. You're nobody re- told me. Nobody told me. I, nobody told me I couldn't say. <laughs> all right, I, this is all. This is off the top top of my head. So you're, coming you're up, creating the, your own press conference, right? Or your, yeah, your own yeah, press yeah. release right now? Yeah. Well, no. I mean, usually I write the news, but I, I don't have this item. But so coming up this week on Thursday mm-hmm. at Button Willow, mm-hmm. uh, Attack Performance will be testing. Uh, I think Dunlop tires and mm-hmm. they are dragging out of the mothballs, mm-hmm. Jason Pridmore, Josh Hayes, and obviously Jake Gagne. So for attack mm. performance, this is the thing that's really cool. And, and I think is a great story that we all need to really dive into. And I hope Moto America is sending someone to, to get a story on this. That is attack performance's first two national champions and their reigning national champion. Mm. And they're all going to get to go out and ride what bike you're riding. I get to ride. I get to ride a superbike this week. Superbike. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, after me, some months after I got to ride it, and you know what I mean. I'm not flexing right now, but mm, you know, I'm just saying. I never looked at it that way, though. How you said it, because I was lucky enough to do what we did with Richard, and I'm. <laughs> I don't know why, but whatever I did with him, he still holds me in any kind of regard, which is really, really kind of him. Uh, uh, but they were the best years that I, I mean, some of the best years I had. Period. Because I just loved working with him so much. Um, and then, of course, when I was there, I had the ear of Suzuki at the time. So I could kind of like who was coming up. And I never looked at it like a like I always wanted to I always wanted to get somebody who I thought really deserved to be there. And at the time, um, I didn't I mean, I knew Josh. I didn't know Josh great, but I I saw his work and I could see what he was doing. I'm like, we got to get Josh Hayes on the team. And and they did. And then Josh was able to win, I think, the 750 championship. Mm hmm. 
And uh, and then Dude, that, he had a great. That was the year where Tommy Hayden was on the six thirty six, and yep. those two fought it out that year. Correct. Yep. And he ended up. I remember his first win at Laguna, and I always said that, you know, it's 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 been really nice because even Josh Josh has openly thanked me recently, even about helping him get to where he was. So I thought that's really nice of him. I never looked at it that way, and until you just even said it the way you said it about having like the first two guys and then Gagne. I've never really looked at it like that. Um, well, I'm, I look I'm at it like that it to, like to be pretty to fun, give, you know, Stan Bowley and I were texting fun. today about some other stuff and he yeah. brought it up and, and I thought, yeah, of course. What a great story. Your first, yeah. two, your first two champs on attack. And then obviously Gagne is your current guy. Look, I'm looking forward to it. I cannot wait to hear your feedback on what you think about the bike because I'm sure it's going to be incredible. Uh, it, what an opportunity Danese sending me some stuff. Um, oh, that's awesome! Yeah, th- well, I just needed I needed some things because, yeah, I just needed I just needed some some stuff. So I I'm gonna wear my I'm probably just gonna wear my uh, 2000 my suit from Phillip Island that I wore, mm. and um, but I needed you know I needed some knee pucks and some boots and some other stuff because I never really get a chance to really ride like really really good stuff anymore. You know, I was lucky enough to ride Corey's bike at Brainerd. That was Corey Alexander, yeah, Corey Alexander and. But I mean, it's going to be great. I'm going to go out there on Thursday and ride with those guys as much or as little as they they let me. Dunlop actually approached me with it first. Um, they said, "Oh, hey, Richard said he's putting you on the bike, so let us tell you about what's going on." And I was like, "What are you talking about?" And then you had talked to me about a couple things. But when I was in Spain, <laughs> Richard and I must we text each other quite a bit. He texts me, he's like, "Hey, so." We got the bike. We're having it all set. And then I get this thing from Darren Marshall like three days, four days ago. Hey, JP, <laughs> here's the gearing chart for the week. And this, and I'm like, <laughs> what is going on right now? You know? uh, but for me, it's just a fun deal. Um, uh, Dunlop is is obviously going to be out there. I think Cam Peterson might be out there too on the M4 bike. I I, I don't know that for a fact, but that's what I was told. Yep. Um, so, I mean, the chance to get a ride around with those three guys for me will be a blast and just interact with the team and, and get a chance to ride the the bike that you and I have been commentating on for the last uh, last couple of years. Be yeah, fun. I think it'll be it'll be very valuable. I think for the broadcast, obviously moving forward. I mean, me riding the bike, and this is what I told Richard. You know, I got a chance to to ride the bike at Brainerd, and and I and when I got off the bike, I was like, wow, great experience. But really, as the you know, as the the color analyst or the analyst or the yeah. color commentator. You're in a much better position. I mean, I wouldn't feel right sitting in a broadcast <laughs> saying, well, you know, Jason, when I got to ride Gagne's yeah. bike 13 seconds off the pace, this is how I felt about it. So, yeah, I think it. I, when I told Richard, I said, this, you're, you're assuming I'm going to be within 13. You're assuming I'm going to be within 13 seconds of the pace, huh? That's good. Hopefully I am. Uh, so. Yeah, I'm not the only one who thinks that. Gagne is... Gagne thinks that too. So don't, well, yeah. don't sell I, yourself short, I'm buddy. Not, you know, Greg, the problem is, is it's, it's, I'm also realistic about where I'm at now in my life. And yeah. it, even if this would have been four years ago, I would have been just chomping at it a little bit. I am still, don't get me wrong. I am super, super excited, but I'm trying to keep it a little <laughs> bit low key for me. Um, yeah. Well, I, I told Stamboli, I said, look, you need to send Jason and Hayes out before Gagne gets on the bike and sets a lap time because if Gagne goes out and sets a lap time, there are two old guys that are going to go chasing a time and you might have a oh. bin full of parts. No, 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 no. I see. That's where I might be a little different. See, Josh is still in mm-hmm. the age group mm-hmm. that I would have been in four or five years ago where I'd have been like, ah, oh, I can still do this, you know? And now <laughs> I even rode there on Friday with Wes and I got to spend some fast laps on my own and, and, and it was I really swear to God, if you get within two seconds of Gagne, I, 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 I know for the next year i'm gonna hear 
G-Dub, I still got it, bro. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, I was, I was doing these laps on my own the other day, and I'm out there, and there's nobody on the track, and it's just me, and I'm, I'm having a bit of a push, and I'm saying, I'm talking to myself the whole time. I'm going around. I'm like, yeah, you're late, and then I'm going, you're, <laughs> and I'm like, you're a chop, and missed that apex, and I'm literally saying all this stuff as I'm ripping around, and I'm saying, because I never really get to rip anymore. But and Buttonwill is technical too, so. Um, no, it's going to be a great opportunity. And then from there, I'm going straight out to Chuckwalla. I'm driving out Thursday night. As soon as I'm done at Buttonwillow, I'm going to drive straight out there to uh, oh my god to, to CVMA. So it'll be fun. Which we're going to talk about next week on the podcast. I yeah. have, you know, because I talked to Kolb today, got on the phone with David Kolb. Oh, boy. And he started yakking about three-peating. You know what I mean? What's he going to three-peat on? What's he three-peating? Formula 40 championship, Jeez. dude. He's CVMA, Formula 40. See, the problem I think, is... I think, what, in the right direction, maybe, like clockwise champion or something? <laughs> I, don't I don't know. know. He is. The, the thing is, right, <laughs> is he's got this little martial art thing that he's got against me because, you know... Oh, he'll he's, whip he's somebody's a, ass. He's yeah. a black belt. And so, like, yeah, I'm, I'm on eggshells a little bit. It's only so far you can go, and yeah, you don't want you you don't want him to snap for real because if you snap for real, next thing you know, you're going to see Tweety Birds circle in your head. Now, if he gets Rachel to come beat me up, I'm in for that. Yeah, I'd let Rachel beat me up. I'd let her beat me up for a week. Yeah, got no problem with that. But Cole beat me up. (laughs) I'm never going to get to really take a shot at Rachel on the racetrack. See, Cole still knows that that's there, and Mache's calling you out too. What is it? Wow, really? What's going I'm on? Talking to Shay today. He's in his, his, you know, his Battle of the Olds back. Part Two. Oh boy, Battle Doug of the Olds Part Two. Doug Lincoln mm. wants in. Talk to him today. Mm. So mm. you know, it's all there. Let's get okay. into the weekend. Enough talking about our all our crap. Sorry, thirty minutes into this, we should shit. probably talk yeah. about a race that happened. Jesus, uh, I forgot that it's my turn. You've probably been waiting for me to do this uh, <laughs> a little bit. Greg, honestly, when you look at the MotoGP race on the weekend. Um, I think that that leading into it, it, it kind of had all of the – man, there were so many great talking points. MotoGP right now is so fun. And with the weather being what it was on Friday and Saturday, it threw a wrench into everything. Bagnaya was unbelievable um, in qualifying one and qualifying two to put his Ducati on pole. In fact, Ducati takes the whole front row with Miller and, uh, and Bastianini. I mean, it was pretty – or it was – yeah, it was Bastianini, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I was. It was. I thought I, I was – I was thinking Marini for a second, but it was Bashini. Um, and then when you watch the race, there was all this intrigue of what was going to happen, what was going to go on. And it's dry. It's a dry Sunday. And the two Ducati boys are the only ones with the hard fronts. Definitely seemed like it made a difference. It was a little bit shocking. I'm not going to say shocking, but it was a little bit to see how far into the race it was until Bagnaya tipped off. And he'd made a break, hadn't he? I mean, he'd actually had pulled that little bit of a break. Marquez said he was willing to settle for second at that point. Um, but for Bagnaya, it, it, second that happens, all of a sudden, you know, Quattararo is world champion. There were so many great stories after that race, though, that you could just if you could you, wrap yourself into. If you don't have time to watch the whole race for some reason and you wanted pure entertainment, just start with four laps to go. It's, with four it's, laps to go is insane. So much goes on in that. And when you look at what Bagnaya did, and some would argue that there wasn't really that much pressure on him, but there is a lot of pressure when you're trying to get the championship to go to the next round. And had that race been wet on Sunday, man, we could have been in for a final two races because the Yamahas just seemed to struggle. Now, the one guy that didn't seem to struggle with speed, especially early, was Morbidelli. He was six for a long time on that Yamaha. 
and nobody else was even really near him on the same machine. And when you think about kind of tells you where his injury might be because he started to go backwards and he said mm-hmm. he was hurting pretty good. Yeah. Um, but, but the thing that you got to look at, I think is that Bagnaya has really come to show himself as the guy that could lead Ducati to that, that kind of promised land there where they want to get to, because he has the ability to push. There was a small mistake made, which was very, very costly, but that left-hander too, from the end, I mean, they could have started a, you know, a rummage sale there for over the weekend because of how many accidents were there. But when you look at it, I, I got a funny one for you real quick. My uh, Sunday morning, I woke up and of course my mom wants to watch the races, right? She's a racing person. I don't think she I told you it. this. I don't think I told you this. Not yet. You haven't. No. But I said to her, I, you know, so I came downstairs and got a coffee and I moto three is not as much of an interest to her. So I watched moto three first, you know, the no spoiler thing. So my mom comes downstairs with about four laps to go in the Moto3 race. And she's like, oh, the race has started because she wants to watch Sam Lowe's in Moto2. I said, no, mom, I haven't watched MotoGP and I haven't watched Moto2. She's like, okay, you know, has her cup of tea, pre or English. She gets on her phone and and she's found Instagram now. So she's found like all the, she likes all the animal stuff on Instagram. Oh, that's cool. All yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So she likes all like the, all the animal stuff. So she's like, oh, look at this. And she's showing it to me. And I'm like, that's great, mom. And I'm watching the final three laps. Final two laps of Moto3 comes down. I'm kind of glued to it. Honey, what's wrong with these guys? And she shows me the picture, a, a video of the Repsol Honda team, except like freaking no, out in the garage. No. And I'm like, <laughs> mom. <laughs> yes. I know you love that. The no-no. The no-no oh. for Jason Pridmore. If you want to be friends with Jason Pridmore, oh. keep your damn mouth shut on race day. Oh. Keep it shut. And, and my mom's like, what? I'm like, mom, you can't show me that. <laughs> like, I've been – I waited all morning. Oh, I love it. And so so I knew Bagnaya. I knew something bad was happening. Once I saw the first two, you know, Repsol Honda guys. But what a result for Repsol Honda and Marquez and Paul Spargo. Yes. What a result for Bastanini. There's another tremendous story in Bastanini. I thought Quattararo winning the championship and his celebrations were very cool. I loved the fact that they had that video playing in the oh, background and him rolling out on the red carpet. Um, Freaking MotoGP. It, well done, dude. Like, And then you got Rossi. I mean, Rossi's <laughs> throwing a lottery ticket to the crowd there at the end. I mean, he's taken off his helmet from his final race at Mizano and throwing it into the crowd. Like, Are, are you kidding me? I, I'm oh. sitting there thinking... I, I was and on Twitter this morning. I saw somebody made a a post about and how cool is it that nobody like fought the guy for that helmet? Like yes. that guy caught it. Everybody was stoked for that guy that caught it. He caught it and he kept his hand in the air too, so yeah. we all knew that he caught it. That's unreal. And I thought it was cool. All right, so I just want to reference something really quickly. Yeah, did you get to see the um, the Buccaneers game yesterday? I didn't, but the, I saw the football that got tossed. Your yeah, boy so, Tom Brady's 600 pass. Yeah, he t- yeah, his, yeah, 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 exactly. So Evans, who's his receiver, yeah. catches it just and and Evans likes to give the ball away, so he, he gives away it. the 600 ball. <laughs> All right, so so obviously the team representative goes over and and negotiates like, hey, we'll get you you know a signed Brady jersey, whatever, whatever, and the guy gives the ball back, which is cool. Well, I just read probably an hour before we came on the air that that ball is estimated to be worth 600 thousand dollars conservatively. Yeah. $900,000 is more what he thinks it would fetch. Yeah. And I'd like, because I do, and, and I know I'm a Tom Brady, you know, fan yep. and all yeah, that yeah, kind yeah, of crap. Yeah. But I, but the first thing that came to my mind was 
how much is that helmet worth? Like Valentino knew exactly what he's Unreal. doing. It's his last race in his storied MotoGP career. It's the last race at home. It's his DNA sweating that helmet up, yep. and he tosses it into the crowd. Can you imagine? What a class move in a way. I mean, because most it's, people it's I would have to think would be like, dude, I want to keep this one, put it on my mantle. How I many thought, more helmets does that guy need on a mantle though, right? I know, 100%, like, right? Him, How many benchmarks? He rode in it. You know, he can have replicas of that made for himself or whatever. But the thing yeah. is, you're exactly right. For him to go to his section and to do its thing. And um, I just thought that that there was so much intrigue around the race and there was so many great storylines that that you literally, you couldn't turn it off because it was like what, like the cameras didn't know, who do we show? Do we show Marquez coming into Park Fermi? Do we show Quattro dancing? Do we show That Ross? was my tweet. Did you see my tweet about I did. that? I did not oh. see it, no. So it's so funny you think because I was when I sent the tweet out I I I was like ah Jason's gonna think I'm being typical TV guy but I literally sent a tweet out that said something along the lines of for a TV person the last three laps were the most insane thing to p- produce to direct and to actually edit because there was so much crap going on you have Repsol Honda going one two and how long has it been and Crazy. you have their story champion Mark Marquez yeah. you have Fabio Quartararo winning the championship, like coming across the line, winning the championship and Valentino Rossi's last race at Misano. And you have a race for third for the final spot on the podium between Bastianini and Quattararo. Yeah. And they almost, almost missed Marquez crossing the checkers, you know, crossing yep. the start finish line. They got him though. And yep, again, we've talked about this before. That's the one thing in racing. That's the no, no, you got to show it. Got to show then, the guy winning the race. Yeah. And, yeah. and Dorna doesn't do double boxes like we do in Moto America, you know, to try to cover both at once. And so they cut back and forth. And I thought ultimately they did a great job finishing the race, yep. but more importantly, they did an amazing job post race because who do you go to? It's impossible. The, the Quattararo thing was, was rehearsed. It was awesome. You know, it said, go here. He went there. He saw the video when it went to, and it finally, when the video ended, it said world champion and he gets to celebrate. And then they, even if you go back and watch it, they even had arrows that pointed to the left for him to walk and he, and he sees it to go get his helmet, huh? To go get his helmet, take the helmet out. I mean, it was, and that's the thing, like that shows you more than anything that MotoGP and Dorna understand that they are in an entertainment business, that yeah. ultimately that's what this whole thing comes down to because they didn't used to do all this stuff. And it's I think it's Valentino Rossi who started this whole trend yep. of creating some really fun things post-race. Yep. You know, the chicken comes to mind and, you yeah, know, like yeah. on the back of the bike. And so that's one of the reasons, one of the things that Valentino was able to do to transform the sport. The other thing that struck me, Jason, was how many empty how many empty seats did you see 40 minutes after that race was over? I was packed. Like it was, it's like, it's, it's insane. And and it's, it's just so, you know, I don't want to get, I don't want to move away from this subject, but it's just so ironic that F1 was going on here in Coda because I need somebody to explain it to me because I think F1 is the most boring bullshit <laughs> <laughs> I, it sucks. Like I, and I'm sitting there and I'm watching MotoGP and I know I'm biased cause I'm a motorcycle guy, but Greg, I was a huge F1 fan. And if you looked at Cody yesterday, it was packed. You couldn't get another person in place. You couldn't get another person. It was, it was, like, it, it was sold out, literally sold out a month ago. And I watched the start October 6th. Actually, yep. I watched the start of the formula one race and 
the, all the announcer does is scream for the first hour, for the first lap or two. And there's nothing yeah. to scream about. There's no passing going on. There's nothing happening other than, okay, now we're in a single file and that's how it's going to be the rest of the race. And then I watched the last 10 laps of it when I got home last night. I t it. And it's like Hamilton chasing down for stop. And it is boring as shit. And I get it. Those cars, the technology, the teams, it's unreal. It's cool. I love all that. But the racing is so crap. I don't even understand how people love it as much as they do. And then I just got done watching MotoGP where it was like the race itself in this particular case, maybe not, it wasn't the most exciting, but there was a lot on the line for this race at the end of it. And the racing this year in MotoGP has been fantastic all the way through. Um, they've, you've had multiple different winners, you know? Um, mm-hmm. but, but when you watch the end of that race, uh, you watch the end of both races, Fans are storming the, the thing at Coda, which I thought was really cool that Coda opens up the gates and lets the fans go down mm-hmm. straight away. And it's it's a spectacle. But I'm like, there, there's no racing. You know what I mean? There's no yeah, racing I, in that. I, and in our yeah. stuff, like, we've had, like, and again, you got Paul Aspargaro and Anea Bastianini on the podium yesterday. How many people would have bet that Paul Aspargaro and Anea Bastianini were going to be on the podium this weekend? So, the thing is, is that there's so much intrigue in MotoGP. And I think really in a lot of our series across the globe, motorcycle racing is in a good spot. Like there's a lot of multiple winners. There's a lot of people. Obviously here in Moto America, that wasn't the case because of Gagne this year. But but motorcycle racing in general is in a pretty good spot. Yeah. And I, MotoGP I, is leading that at the forefront. It definitely is. And, you know, it, uh, and it, thought, it's awesome. Yeah. And there was other – there's, you know, obviously – there's other good stories in there. Like you see, you know, Mir jump starts, gets long lap before he can even do the long lap. He cleans out Petrucci. It's Petrucci's birthday, like we said earlier. And there's Petrucci giving him a hug, you know? Yeah. And that was cool. That was cool, though. You, like, you see some of that stuff and you're like, yeah, there's a human side of it that these guys have, even though it's so cutthroat. Well, the other one was, you know, that I reposted on, on Twitter because, dude, you've known me for – 25 going on 26 years. I'm feels not like, really a feels fan. Like six, feels like 60. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. It's yeah, it's chipping away at my bones. Mm-hmm. Trust me, my bone marrow's degrading because <laughs> of you. But no, you know what I'm saying? Like I like I've never as a as someone who's been a commentator for a, a lot of those years. Yeah. Um I've never taken sides and I've never really been a fan necessarily of racers, but I like Pecco. There's something about him just the I'm way he you, handles yeah. himself. And I yeah. really like him. I like the way he races. And yeah, he's making mistakes. I understand it. But like the move that he made and the video that Ducati Corsa posted. And this is one of those things I was thinking like, this is why I like social media. I don't like it for a lot of reasons. Yeah. But but getting something on video that you can post up, post up and get to the masses that MotoGP couldn't capture because there's only so much you can show Yeah, was when Quattararo rode by the Ducati pit yeah. and there was Pecco waiting for him yeah. and he gave him a hug. And I'm sure he said, congratulations. Then Jack Miller comes out and congratulates him. And then the three principals from Ducati Gorsa, including, uh, <clears throat> you know, um, well, Domicelli wasn't there, but you had all, all the main players involved. Yeah. Um, and I thought, you know what, dude, this is racing. It is cutthroat. These are big businesses. These are big corporations. But at the end of the day, it's being run by human beings that understand what an accomplishment it is to win a world championship. And I thought that there's just so much sportsmanship in that. And I really liked what Pecco did and what Pecco has said post-race. And I, it was, it's was it been good. 
Yeah, and I, Greg, it's hard really to find. I mean, honestly, it's really hard to find anybody that you can't that you don't really like in MotoGP. Like I, I be honest, I, I like I love Juan Mir. I, I, I don't know why he gets such a bad, like almost uh, uh, rep. Almost, you hear some things said about him, and I'm like, I, I don't. I like him. I, I like him too. The guy's a grinder and he tries and you can't fault the guy for, for having a go. And it's, it's, he's a world champion. I mean, at the end of the day, he won his world championship and he was there until what, three or four races from the end this year without winning again. Uh, there's a formula that Suzuki's got to come up with to get their riders winning races because through qualifying and stuff, they just can't get close enough to the front. And we've seen that when they are, they're capable but Mir rides hard, and I love that about him. Zarco yesterday ends up finishing fifth, buying Quattararo just to rip through the top ten. Rins did end up sixth. Alicia Spargo fell back late in the race, Greg, um, but he only ends up uh, less than a second. Seventh place for Alicia, and right behind him, Maverick Vinales ends up eighth. I mean, these are two stories here. When you look at it, uh, Alicia only beat Maverick by two-tenths of a second at the end of the day yesterday in that final. But we don't get to really th- – I mean, that's a great story in and of itself that those two Aprilias are in the top 10, 18 seconds behind the winner, only two-tenths apart. Luca Marini, ninth, who was up there running the such cool uh, livery of, you know <laughs> – That was great. Forza Valley, I think it was. Uh, for, Grazie. For Grazie. 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 That's Valley, right. Yeah. That's right. And then Rossi ends up only finishing two seconds behind him. Um, but – that the the thing I the thing is is that MotoGP has a lot going now. When we've got these last two rounds at Portimao and Valencia, um, it's a free for all. Like you know, when I say yeah. it's a free for all, we don't really have a championship. There are still some other positions and places that need to be put in, but for the majority of it, uh, it it, it the last two rounds are going to be fun to watch regardless because I still think that there's a lot to to see. Maverick's going to be trying to get that thing up closer to the front. You know, Marquez is going to be trying to win three in a row at the next round at Portimao. We haven't seen him go a little bit over the, and I get he brings it up about the right-handed tracks, left-handed tracks. He's fine. <laughs> he's okay. Like he's, yeah, I, he's good. I, he, it was, that was he, he did say post race, like post post race, that that was a key moment for him. It was something he's been thinking about for the last couple of weeks about right-handed tracks, and yeah. that's what he mentioned. And so, it, you know, improving something to yourself that is a huge deal when you're looking at confidence and. That's what Mark Marquez is all about. I mean, yep. the skill, the talent, it's all there. It didn't go anywhere. It's yep. just about tying that talent and that skill to the mental side of things and getting that confidence back up. And then all of a sudden now we could see a dominant Mark Marquez again, which is very interesting because I, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see Mark Marquez go out and win 16 of 22 races or 21. How many are they doing next year? 21? 21, 20, man. 21 races? Yeah. But but the other thing that's exciting about next year is the fact that we're actually going to have a full MotoGP grid on the regular, which we haven't had in a while. So with mm-hmm. the addition of Valentino Rossi's team uh, getting you know, getting those two slots, I believe the, the number I counted is 24 total. Good and then wild. every now and then, I think it can go to 26 with wild cards. Wild maybe. cards, maybe, yeah. And, you know, we have Piro this weekend, I think. Wasn't Piro in it this weekend? Uh, Kelly Piro, I think, was there. Let me check. Yep, he ended up 12th, actually. Dovey, 13th. Morbidelli, who was, like I said, he was running up in six for the longest time. Mm-hmm. Nakagami obviously tipped off. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of non-finishers. Begnaya, Oliveira, Jorge Martin. Hey, if any of you in fantasy, <laughs> if any of you in fantasy 
want me to take down anybody that might be ahead of you, give me a couple riders they have because I will I will get them on my team and then they are for sure to get no points. <laughs> Guaranteed no points. Um, yeah. But yeah. MotoGP was simply like really, really great this weekend. It was fun. Uh, well, why don't, why don't we talk about it, yeah. fantasy for a second? Because we really haven't talked about fantasy a whole lot lately. But we are MotoGP Fantasy. They're fantasy.motogp.com. And we have the Greg's Garage Pod with Jason Pridmore League. And in that, I dropped to eighth, like shocking. Daytona 85 <laughs> leads the way. He scored 109.5 points this week. I scored 108. But Beach Moto, Jason, 149 points. Jesus. Like, how, excuse me, how do you? Get to that level. Quateraro, he wow. must have turboed Quart. So Quart got him 72 points. Pecco got 20 points just based on his qualifying effort. And then he silvered uh, Marquez and Jack Miller. So Jack only got him four and a half points, but Marquez got him 20 and a half points. That's combined with his qualifying and obviously, you know, his his race result. That was a huge number, but I've yeah, slipped down to eighth in our league. Yeah. I don't even I don't even have enough computing power to go all the way back to where you okay, are. Okay, I'm 128th. I am brutal. But let me tell you my <laughs> picks this week, okay? Yeah. I had Jorge Martin. I have Bagnaya. Yeah. I had Zarco. And I had Juan Mir. Now I got rid of I got rid of three, Mir and put in Jorge Martin. Three so. out, I got rid of Rins and put in Jorge Martin. So three out of four of my guys don't even finish. And it's been that way for me all year. I had Bagnaya turboed, which was looking pretty good till about five it, laps from the end. Okay. Yeah. And I just, I got to laugh because even in qualifying, after I switched out Rins for Martin, I'm like, oh, this is going to work out good. And Zarco's been fast all weekend. Of course, Zarco goes out and crashes. And then Martin crashed. Martin crashed like three times in four laps, I think is what he said. Because mm. he crashed in, 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 uh, FP4. Then he went out on an outlap and crashed, and then he crashed again. So, yeah, it, it's been a rough little fantasy. I'm taking a beating from uh, Uncle Skip and and Chuck and you. Actually, Warms you guys have been heart. pretty good. You guys have all been pretty good. I'm waiting for it to just come raining down on me. Though. Oh, the season's getting ready to be ending soon, but yeah, and I'm just going to take a beating. And I just we it. at the top of our at the top of the Greg's Garage Pod with Jason Pridmore League. <laughs> Daytona 85 has one point over Craigers. It's it's like 179, That's crazy. 1,729 and a half to 1,728 and a half. And then Beach Moto with that on that 149 point haul moves himself into third place, but only one point away from Vaughn GP something. I don't even know. I'm not even gonna gonna try to pronounce that. But is is where's Kevin in that deal? Is he even close? Let me load more. I'm only looking at the top 10. First of all, Chuck Axelin, our boss, he's in 11th. I'm in 8th. And I have him by like a mere four and a half points. So I've got to I've got to buckle down and make sure that I'm doing the right things. Yeah, um, you, got, you better because, yeah. But Daytona 85. Skip's they, 22nd, dude. He's in our league. good. See, I'm just sucking, man. I got, yeah. I, I'm taking a beating. I'm going to owe some money. Who's Red Rockets? I love that. I'm That's happy great, enough to pay. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know where. I don't know where Kevy. Oh, Kevlar, that's our boy. He's in twenty fourth. Yeah, he's dropped down just, like a stone. Just behind too. Skip. Yep. I'll see him in the weekend. I'll be able to razz him. But Daytona eighty five is great because he texts us. If you go on, if you ever look at his Twitter thing, he is full blown one hundred percent into bikes. So, the problem is, is I'm number two yeah. right now in the Chuck Walla pool, and Beach Moto <laughs> is ahead of me 
in that pool by uh, 13 and a half points. But I still have a turbo and Beach Moto does not. Oh, so I'm within, cool. although Ant-Man Motorcycles is only a couple, four points behind me. So it, it's it's a little snug up top of the of the Chuckwalla pool. That's an invite-only pool. Our boy Kevlar is like lang- languishing down in 10th place. So I've got a chance of, of wrapping that thing up. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Well, good luck to you. I'm not even anywhere close. Just tell me what I owe. And Moto2, Greg? Yes. Let's crazy. go to Moto2. Crazy. And I feel like we could talk about Moto2 for 40 minutes because if you have the pass and you haven't watched Moto2 qualifying practice one, oh qualifying God. practice two, Yeesh. then you're probably not going to understand some of this because I was losing my mind. Uh, because <sighs> I wasn't losing my mind for the wrong reasons. I just couldn't believe how many guys were crashing. And I couldn't believe how crazy it was, the amount of accidents they had in Q1. And, of course, the whole time I'm pulling for Cam. And Cam has got himself up to second at one point in qualifying practice one. So I'm thinking, well, maybe he's going to go through. This is going to be good. But I think, Greg, and I could be wrong. You, you'll probably correct me. They must have had like 10 to 12 crashes in qualifying practice one. I know they were at eight when they the guys actually counted eight. And then there was a few more after that even. Um, but Cameron's a finishing fifth in qualifying practice one, which doesn't get him through, which was a shame. Then they go out for qualifying practice two, and it is the same thing. It is a shit show of crashes. Now, guys are crashing in corners where there are yellow flags. And if you looked at some of the crashes, Greg, they were so pedestrian and didn't look like these guys were doing anything wrong. Did you see some of this? Yes, I did. Yeah. And it's like, these guys don't even look like they're pushing and they're flinging them down the road. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of money spent on Saturday afternoon in Misano. <laughs> I mean, a ton of money because bikes were like literally getting thrown up against uh, up against the walls around that place. And yeah. the walls are quite a bit of ways away. But these guys were crashing and losing the front so quickly that they didn't even have time to even think about it. And well, those are the hardest crashes, too, because a lot of people are crashing – not at full lean angle, right? Like upright, yeah. like really weird places. And those hurt riders, dude. Those are slamming people to the ground and well, stuff. The, the the turn that Miller and Bagnaya crashed in in the race, uh, who else crashed there during the race? I think Oliveira crashed there during the race. Yeah, but someone crashed there in practice. And the commentators didn't catch it for a while. But the camera person had to jump off. That was the, mirror. Last corner mirror. Mirror, last corner, yeah. Yep. The camera person had to jump off because they were going so fast and that's a weird place to crash. But he you crashed know? like immediately. Like just yeah. immediately. Same kind of thing. As soon as he gets and it was left hander, right? I think that left-hander. last corner is left hander. Yep. And as soon as he like gets on the brakes, boom, down goes the thing. The bike goes flying because you see mirror in frame, and then all of a sudden you kind of see him lower part of the frame, and then you just see the camera basically t- pointing to the sky. And I go, I knew exactly what happened. I was like, dude, just jumped off the because the bike must I have saw landed. that Mir signed that guy a pair of boots and all that. The guy came oh, and saw he did? Him Oh, that's and, cool. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but Moto2 qualifying one and qualifying two were insane. And again, you would have needed notes to start the race of all of the different guys that were getting, that were getting uh, penalties because oh, it was like, this guy's got to start from pit lane. This guy's going to get two right throughs. This guy's getting a right through because guys were crashing so frequently that even in the spots there were yellow flags. Now everybody's going to come to me and go, well, that just goes to show that they've got to do something about the yellow flag rule. The yellow flag rule to me is still the dumbest rule that you could possibly have because 
the person who's doing the crashing, literally, there is, they don't get any penalty other than they crash. Because right. legitimately, Greg, you could set pole position and have your lap canceled because somebody else crashed. And the person that might be second on the grid who just crashed still gets to stay second on the grid. And you could be starting 14th now. So I can't imagine anyone doing this, Jason. But who's to say, knowing the rules and playing by the rules, that you go and set pole position and you know your, your competition's halfway through the lap or whatever, you know, because your, your guys have told you. And you go out in the last sector and you just fling it down the road. But, but we've talked about to, this. It's a, it can yeah. be done. Sure. A thousand percent it could be done. And then the thing is, Greg, you don't have to crash. Anything that gets those corner workers jumping out of their booth or box to get over to help you. So you can That's run true. up out into the gravel. Run up because, the track, yeah. And because, make look down at your bike. Oh, what's going on? Because huh? Tito Rabat this year ran off the track and turned one at Estoril and was, was duck paddling his way through the gravel while guys – were coming into turn one and because the corner workers were going out to try to help him thinking that he needed help getting through the gravel, everybody that went into turn one's lap time got canceled. So the thing is, is it's a very, very flawed rule. I know we're trying to protect our corner workers, but if they're going to set this rule, it should be, if you crash, you're, you got to go by your second time or your third time or something because you're continually penalizing the guys that aren't crashing and aren't causing problems and the rule is very, very flawed. Now, if you watch the session, both Patronus bikes get flung in the same corner. Vieira comes into that two, that corner two turns from the end and flings one down the road. And then literally, it looks, Greg, within a matter of 15 seconds or so, Jake Dixon comes in and he flings one down the road in the exact same place. But if you watch the sessions, those guys were coming into those corners. They didn't even look like they were pushing and they were losing the front. Yeah. And all of a sudden, now they're getting pushed to the back of the grid or having to do long lap penalties. And um, let's just talk about the race first. Uh, the race itself was pretty crazy because it had big championship ramifications also. Sam Lowe's goes on and does a tremendous job winning this race over Augusto Fernandez, who again, long lap penalties from the day before where he held up, supposedly held up Kinnett. Fernandez was on a lap during qualifying and it started to sprinkle and he kind of slowed up. Well, when he slowed up, Kinnett didn't want to slow up. So they dock Augusto Fernandez time or they, they give him a long lap penalty because he basically slowed down because of the, the, the rain. Kinnett ends up finishing third, running out of gas, coming across the line. <laughs> uh, Viette, which we talked about a little bit this morning, had a funny conversation about. Viette, Navarro, Manzi, Remy Gardner, seventh, Greg, but what a ordeal he had to, to, to take in. Mm-hmm. Antonio, your guy, all right, Gura was a little bit off this weekend. He ends up eight, uh, ninth. Marquez Ramirez, 10th. The two sad ones for me, um, mm. obviously, Joe Roberts early in the weekend, crashing out and breaking his collarbone. That was that sucked. He had successful surgery today. If you go by and you look at his social media, you'll see that. And we're Monday, by the way, if you're listening to Monday, this. It is Monday. Yeah, yeah, we're doing Monday. it early. So if we, in case we miss something on Tuesday or Wednesday morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. You know. But Joe's good. Saw a photo of him. Uh, he had his surgery. He's going to be fine. And Camp Obrey, just it's such such a shame because he actually got himself back to the kind of on the tail end of that that lead group. There, I, I feel like there could have been a possible top ten in the cards there for Cam, but he ends up losing the front uh, in that real slow tight right hander as well and not getting any points. But the real crazy part of this is just how good Raúl Fernandez has been. Um, he gets to the front of this race, Greg, and and I really don't have. If you and I were calling this race. I don't have a good explanation of the crash that I saw because it is like 
immediately the second he touches the brakes, it has gone so fast. And the speed the kid was going into that turn to lose the front. And did you see him barrel roll through the, you see him get his hands to his chest mm-hmm. and he must have flipped probably a good five or six times himself to not get injured. It says a lot about our equipment, but I don't have a great explanation for that accident. Do you? No, no. And I, and I don't want to speculate, but what it looked like to me mm-hmm. was mechanical. That's all I'm going to say. I agree with you. I don't think that, and you and I don't have anything saying otherwise. It's not like, it's not like you know that and you're saying that to be nope. coy or, or saying that to be, uh, to protect anybody. You know, the commentators thought he touched the paint and originally I'm like, oh, maybe he got on the curbing. Maybe, I mean, maybe, but then even they said, oh, he wasn't even near the curbing and he wasn't near the white paint. He, and it mm-hmm. was like legitimate to, he it looked like he touched the lever and the thing was on the deck so quick. Guys at his level don't make that mistake. Guys at his level, especially that far into a race, uh, what, what do we have, Greg? Maybe six laps to go in that race? I think so. Six or five. Six, six, like five, yeah. six, seven laps. And and you just don't see that kind of accident happening at all. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that, that, that Raul Fernandez had that happen, boy, what a shot for him. Uh, he actually, at the race ends the way it does, Remy Gardner was on the struggle bus and – and it looked like Raul Fernandez was going to take the points lead into the final two rounds. Now I believe he's got an 18-point deficit. I would argue to say that I still almost consider him the favorite if he can keep it upright because he's shown that he's capable of getting to the front and winning these races. Gardner this weekend, was he hasn't been himself either, has he, Gardner? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. He saw he had a no finish and a crash at Coda. Comes into this race, wasn't really on pace at all um, uh, in the race itself. Now... The penalty. Did you see the penalty that he had imposed? Yeah. I'm interested in getting your take on that before I go into it because you already probably know my stance. I mean, just go ahead and say it. Well, here's the thing, right, is there comes a point where somebody has – it's funny. Well, I got Describe the penalty before you go further. Like basically what, what ends up happening is in that very, very tight right-hander, and it's the exact same place that we saw Dominica Goethe go underneath Jordi Torres, Okay. In this particular case, Gardner's three-quarters of the way by, but he's in there deep, and he's not going to be able to kind of maybe get the bike stopped. But Chantra, it was Chantra, I believe, um, that, that he was passing. Um, there comes a point where as you are the guy that's getting passed, as you are the guy that's getting um, somebody up underneath you, you, you know that there's a guy there. And Gardner did touch, did touch him. Um, but he touched him with the very back of his motorcycle. Am I right on who it was, Greg? I think it was. Yeah, Sancho. you're right. You're okay, Sancho, I saw yeah. you checking me up there. So, um, but the thing is, is he catches Chantra's left or right handlebar with his tail section. For me, if Chantra just stands the bike upright and gets the bike stopped and turned, neither one of them crash. And I'm not saying that Remy didn't make a mistake by getting in there deep, but you cannot keep penalizing these guys for taking a shot on passing. Remy Gardner has a hell of a lot more to lose than Chantra does in that race by crashing. And anytime you make contact with somebody, you run the risk of that. And I find it just pathetic that it just continues to get called out that you're going to penalize these guys for racing close, passing tight. The racing is so close and it is so tight that it's going to happen. But as a as a guy that gets getting passed as well, and maybe you can interject on this, um, when you're getting past, if there's somebody up underneath you that's kind of got it to where you can't turn in, what do you do? Stand the damn bike up. 
standing up. They both would have still made the turn. Chantra would have lost his position. He could have gone chasing back after Gardner and not lost really any time. Why don't we penalize the person who, who didn't stand it up? I, like, I just, I, I have a, I, I, when you look at that particular stance too, Gardner has so much more to lose. And I know, but the, I think the, the, the thing you said that to me, that's the most critical is that he was, he was three, three quarters, quarters of the bike by him. By him. He, he was by him. He didn't and it's hit like, Chantra in the middle of his motorcycle while Chantra was leaned over and he tagged him with his no. front tire. I mean, he he clips him because Chantra just doesn't want to give up that position. And in two weeks ago, three weeks ago, it was the exact same thing for me. A Goethe got into there too deep. All Torres has to do is finish behind him. Yeah. And and you know, I was worried at the end when I saw Anea Bastianini trying to pass Quattro. I was just getting ready to say that. I was just getting ready to say that. So <laughs> what do you so, think but- gonna do? He's doing everything he can to bring the bike across the line, is he not? Yes, but he also wants to bring it back on the podium. But if you look at that, so Bastianini gets around him. Quartararo now outdrove Bastianini and had to check up, or else if he didn't check up, he was going to slam right into the back of him. It's 100%. called checking up. At the the throttle goes both ways. It goes both ways, and you cannot keep penalizing the guy that's who trying to put on a show. Like that's, that's the whole thing. It's entertainment. It's that's what I'm trying to say. And oh, you know dude. what? We we uh, it's great because I got into this discussion this morning with Dougie Lincoln of all people, which was really good. I said, Dougie. What, how long have you been racing? He goes, since 91. And Dougie does like seven, eight races a weekend, you know? Mm-hmm. And I said to him, how many times have you got out on the track with the intentions of running into somebody? He goes, never. I said, arguably, Dougie, you've taken more green and checkered flags than I ever have because of how many years he's been racing in club racing. And how many races here. And how many races he's done. And I said, if a guy goes up underneath you, what do you do? He goes, well, there are times when you just have to stand the bike upright, just exactly what you said, Greg. And and I said, the, the thing is, is that you – you're going to go penalize Gardner for doing what he needed to do when he's trying to win a championship. And I just find it. And is it not ironic that they penalize in the lap that Fernandez crashes as well? Yeah. I mean, I guess to me, to me, I I could care less about that storyline because they're completely unrelated. They are completely unrelated, but it's like Gardner in in, in a sense, and this is the other thing, but see, this is where, I really felt like six laps later, five laps later, when they hadn't done anything, I'm like, wow, they made the right decision. You do have to let guys race every now and then. Yeah. But the ironic part to me now is that Gardner had like seven, six seconds behind him. So if they penalize him, he still stays in the same spot, right? That's essentially what happened, even though Bedecki had caught up to him, who did initially pass, uh, went by him and then crashed himself. But the thing is, is that is that if Remy Gardner had ten guys right behind him, and Fernandez is out front leading, I just I don't know how you penalize Gardner. I don't. I, don't, I mean, how do you explain that away? Like, so Remy Gardner loses the championship by one point for being too aggressive for trying like, to win what? a championship. For I, trying to win a championship. It's, it, it, it's and race control now is is so involved. And right then they could have actually set a precedent to start sending it the other way. And said, "Hey, hold on a second. There is a chance that that this guy's racing for a championship. And if you look at the video really close, Shantor could have picked his bike up. He had plenty of time. He clipped the back of Gardner's bike. Right. So the racing incident. Let it go. Uh, but you know what, Jay? Maybe they pinned themselves into the corner because of the Moto E championship from a few weeks ago. I mean, it's just so weird, dude. I look at it like, man, you you keep penalizing these guys. Racing's just gotten to be." 
It, it's just, it's a bummer. And I'm going to tell you that if you, you, I mean, I don't even know how the guys in F1 could pass if they could pass because it's almost impossible for those guys to make a pass without making some sort of contact. And if you're going to get in trouble every single time, and I, what I don't want is I don't want our sport to turn into what I watched at Coda, even though there's all those fans that were there watching that stuff. Um, and, and, you know, I've seen a couple of things where like, Oh, look what Netflix can do for, you know, look what Netflix mm-hmm. can do for, for a series, but the racing to me, I, and I'm a huge race fan. Like you say, you're not, or maybe fans of the writers cause you've been doing it for so long. Um, I can watch any kind of racing, to be honest with you. If it's close and it's fun to watch, I'll watch it. Um, but I watch lawnmower racing when it's close. Yeah, I'll it's watch any stuff. of it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's you, you watch it because you enjoy the competition, and when you start taking it out of the writers' hands, it does uh, just no good. Greg in the Moto Three front, but that go back real quick. Augusto Fernandez, hell of a ride, getting that penalty, coming mm-hmm. back, finishing second. I think it was fifteen laps to go. He was up to sixth, and he was running lap time after lap time, fastest lap, fastest lap. And the announcer's like, well, he's got no shot at the podium. And I'm like, um, he's the fastest guy on the track. He's coming forward. Almost wins the Grand Prix. Sam Lowe's, though, did a really nice job there. Kinnett ran out of fuel coming out of the last corner. And you could see how upset he was about that. But um, Sam Lowe's, good to see him. I mean, dominant weekend, great. Got pole position. Uh, led a lot of the race. Ends up winning the race. Um a tremendous job. Moto three. How about this, Greg? Dennis Foggio is coming. Like that's actually a really good story in and of itself. I mean, it looked like at the beginning of the year, everybody had kind of just given a cost of the championship. Um, and, and to be fair, uh, Pedro Acosta, I'm not going to say lucky, but he was a little bit lucky to finish third in this race. Jami mm-hmm. Masia ends up second, Acosta third bender, Nepa, Antonelli, Fanati, Sasaki, Artigas, and Salich. Ends up in the top 10. Front 10 uh, were within 6.8 seconds of each other. The championship now, Greg, in Moto3 has been trimmed down to, what is it, Greg? 21 points? 21 points. points. What is it? 21. 21 points. And at one point, I believe Faggio, they were saying, uh, was 90 points back. Was he? Faggio was 90 points back in this championship. Wow. unreal. He's 90 points back. He's 21 points back now. Acosta... I don't know if it's that everybody else has just stepped up that much. I thought it was a tremendous salvage uh, uh, salvage ride by Acosta to end up getting third because he, in, in really quick succession, Bender, Napa, and Antonelli, as well as Fanati, were right behind him. Fanati came from a long way back to end up seventh in this race. Um, it, was a, it, was a, it was a great race, but if you watched it, Faggio wasn't even in the picture for the first five or six laps. He was kind of the guy trying to get to the front of that second group, got to the front of that second group, and kept pulling all those guys up to the lead group. And, um, yeah, what were your takeaways from the Moto3 race? Well, I think the biggest thing when I'm looking at that is who has the hot hand and who's struggling. Mm -hmm. And in this championship, looking at Dennis Faggia, I mean, dude, the guy's won a lot of races the last couple of races, and Acosta hasn't. And now with this gap at 21, all I keep thinking to myself is, man, it's it's the craziness of Moto3. You don't think Acosta can get caught up in a bad situation and and crash out and Faggia could win? Literally, next race, it could be – Foggia leading by four points like it, it could be that it could you know? yeah yeah because Acosta at this point although it's 21 points it seems like a large margin with two races to go if you were in MotoGP 
But to me in Moto3, it almost feels like if Acosta gets conservative, he's all of a sudden going to lose 10 points. You know, right. He can lose some big chunks. So he's got to stay on it. Um, but what Faji, I think the biggest takeaway for me is what Faji is doing right now is really incredible to watch. I mean, he is just on it and he's racing like he doesn't care. He's racing like there is no championship on the line. Correct. And sometimes we see riders like that end up with it at the end of the day. Well, it would break my heart for Acosta if something like that happened. Well, sure. to be fair, I, it looked like Remy Gardner had one hand on the Moto2 World Championship as well mm, yep. with four rounds to go. And we've seen that championship turn, and now it's turned again back into his favor uh, with two rounds to go. I still think Fernandez has a lot to say, and there's a lot. The thing is, is in these two classes, in Moto2 and Moto3, there's so many guys that can get between the protagonists that are running for the championship. And I think when you look at what Faggio has done, he is as cool as a cucumber. He doesn't look like he's under any pressure. He doesn't look like he's riding as free as they come. Um, and, and, and in this race, I mean, they qualified 14th. So Acosta, I think had qualified somewhere in the top six, I think. Um, and so Faggia had his work cut out for him and got through all those guys and then got through that lead pack, like a knife through butter. And, and you just sit there and you watch it. And there was a mistake made by, and I can't remember who it was now, Greg, cause I'm going to, but basically Acosta was running third and it jumped him up to the lead. And that really saved him because, Faggio was coming through everybody pretty quickly. And I think if Faggio could have got through Acosta and through the other two guys, um, uh, I think Acosta might have finished a little bit further back. But Acosta was able to take the lead with about four to go or five to go out of the, uh, God, what turn would it be? I know the track. I've been there. One, two, three, four, five, like turn six coming out of the the left. I can't remember who was leading, but they kind of got bucked up out of the seat. The guy in second had to check up, and Acosta went by both of them and Mm -hmm. led until Faggia caught up and went back by. Um, and the other thing, too, when you look at it, Jami Masia, I don't think, is a big fan of Acosta from some of the stuff that we have read during the beginning of the year. And and I don't know how much he's going to be willing to help. KTM is probably going to be talking to him about got to help us try to get this and not let Leopard Honda win the championship. Hmm. But, um, but, man, both these championships – Moto 2 is 18 points and Moto 3 is 21 points. But both the guys in second right now to me, even though Fernandez crashed, they both have the momentum. I agree. Yeah. I totally agree. So, so I'm 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 so excited to watch those two classes and that Moto GP, like, you know, there's no championships. Most people are know where they're gonna be next year. Mm-hmm. These are kind of two races where you're kind of racing free. You I know? agree. It's like go out there and get after it. And you know. The one thing I do want to note that Stan Boley kind of pointed out to me that I thought was very interesting earlier today that I haven't mentioned so far is, you know, Quateraro wins the world championship. And we've got to give a tip of the cap to Yamaha as a company. Wow. They won Moto America, British Superbike, Japanese Superbike, MotoGP, and they're very close to winning World Superbike. And they even won the outdoor motocross championship. I'm hats off, eh? I mean, sheesh, what, what are you a year. Say? What a year for tuning forks. But I also think forks. it goes... It also goes without saying that when you are invested in racing and you're spending your money wisely and you're doing the right things, um, there's a lot of R1s at track days. There's a lot of R6s at track days. Mm-hmm. So the, the brand is selling, um, even their motocross bikes, even though I'm not on that side as much as I used to be. Um, I know that you know a lot of bikes are selling and people are going to say, well, yeah, COVID, people went out and bought bikes. Yeah, but if you go to a racetrack the sound of an R1 going around the track is 
pretty apparent. There, there's never not one out there. It doesn't seem like so. And you got to think it's like that at most track days. Everywhere you go, you're going to see those bikes in a lot of places. And, and you know, I still feel like maybe some of the old adage of race on Sunday, you know, win on Sunday, buy on Monday. That's been forgotten a little bit. But when you look at how dominant Yamaha has been across the board, it's pretty hard to argue with it. It and definitely I, and is. Really, Greg, you just mentioned. I think the Australian Superbike Championship, I know they're on a bit of a hiatus right now because of COVID restrictions in Australia, but I know Maxwell won it last year on a Ducati. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and I think I think BMW won German Superbike. I don't I, yeah, I don't know I who won right. French Superbike. I don't know. Yep. Um, I know DeBees was in the hunt for that I on a Cowie. During the championship, I just right? I don't DeBees? remember because he got hurt, wasn't able to do the last yeah. couple rounds or something. Yeah. But yeah, across the board, it's pretty impressive. And now even, you know, in our Moto America class, you know, you've, we've got that new R, you know, Yamaha's got that new R7 that mm-hmm. came out midway through the year. So I'm sure there'll be some people riding that again next year. And so, yeah, it'll well, be interesting. Looking ahead to the the race calendar. Yeah. Um, there's no road racing to speak of, but next week in the podcast, we're actually going to talk a little bit about what you were just talking about. Okay. We're going to talk to the director of technical. I don't even know what his title is. Teague Dane is going to join us on the podcast as recorded stuff as we've done before. To illuminate us about the new Moto America Supersport rules, who who is going to be racing against the Yamaha R6, which of course you know isn't really being made much anymore around the world. Kawasaki 600s, of course, but the class is going to open up. Jay, we're talking about 765 triples, 955 twins. It's going to be an exciting conversation to learn more from the technical side as to why Moto America is moving towards the World Supersport rules and inviting more manufacturers to come race in Supersport. Um. Enduro Cross visits Denver, Colorado, and there's some other stuff going on, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. Well, it's going to be good. I'm, I'm, I mean, obviously, we got a weekend off this weekend. I'll be at CVMA, so, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting to see who shows up out there this weekend. Um, Bring a notepad, all right, so we can talk about CVMA because this is one of those rare weekends where we get to talk about uh, the club racing stuff that you're going to be at, so. Yeah, and I think that you know we're in a good spot right now where we can start getting some people lined up for next year uh, as far as on the podcast goes and talking about some things. And Greg and I also have a couple directions that we might go with uh, with the podcast in the future, so we'll see how that is. Maybe we get Stevie English on here too before the final round of Indonesia in the next three I to four weeks. I think that's a must. I think yeah. we got to get him on here. Hopefully, by the way, I saw that that that, that track still isn't FIM homologated yet, mm. and it's going to be the next couple of days. So hopefully, that'll pass homologation. Where did I see that today? They I, will race. I didn't get to read about it, but I saw that, and I think my phone rang. But I, but it actually had the track, a picture of the track, didn't it? Because I want to see yeah. the layout. I don't know where I saw did that. I see it on Crash.net, maybe. I, I, or maybe it was GP one. It might have been GP one. I don't know, but yeah. I saw a photo of it, and I'm like, oh, I can actually get to see a, an actual layout of the track. So, yeah, it should be pretty good. It's going to be All good, right. man. Well, dude, I cannot wait to hear how Thursday goes for you. I hope you guys have perfect weather. I know it's been raining out there in California, but fingers crossed for perfect weather. And I hope that you enjoy, because I talked to Stan Boley, so I really hope that you enjoy your, uh, I think he's got 16 minutes for you on that bike. Yeah, that's so. great. It, I might only last nine. <laughs> yeah, no, mm-hmm. they, Tony Romo he comes up to me at uh, Jersey. He's like, oh, you're all set to test that bike. I'll, you know. I'm like, test what bike? This is a jersey. I'm like, what are you you're like? Oh yeah, Richard. Like, so it was pretty funny because you had talked about it. Romo talked about it, but me and Richard had never talked. And I was like, literally, I was literally in Portugal when he when he hit me up. I, I'm looking forward to it. it. I don't know how many laps I'll I'll be able to 
I'll be able to I last. know how many. I'll probably be able to do 10 laps and I'll be like tongue to the, tongue to the floor. People love telling me secrets. So there's a lot of stuff that I'm not telling you. That's so, right. Good luck. That's right. That's right. That scares me yeah. a little bit. That scares me a little bit. No, it's, have, it's just going to be fun. fun. Hopefully I can roll on the track about 10 o'clock. I, I haven't got any like, uh, <laughs> no I, haven't chance. Got, I haven't got a work schedule yet. <laughs> Go ahead. Piss Stamboli off before you arrive. I'm Go sure. I'm, I can only imagine. I can only imagine the notes that are going to be on my screen when I'm riding around. I can only imagine the shit. He's oh, really? Write. Did he used yeah. to do that stuff to you? He did it to Spees. <laughs> okay. I know he did it to Ben. Yeah. So yeah, I can imagine. But it's going to be fun. Kind of get the band back together. I'm going to have fun with Josh and and Jake, obviously, and, and obviously if Cam Peterson is there, um, yeah, going to have a blast with all those guys. All right. Well, that's it for us. Take us out, buddy. G-Dub, as usual, I wish you were out here with us, and uh, mm. but we'll talk next week.